Well, welcome to Salem Chapel. My name is Johnny Pereira. If you're new with us, uh, I had the privilege of being the senior pastor here, and um, we're so glad that you're with us, whether you are a first-time guest or whether you call this place your home, whether you're joining us online or whether you're with us in person. And uh, I just want to take a moment. I know that we've already prayed, but um, at the same time, if you've came, come into the, you know, all of you came into the building, so if you're in this room, in this auditorium today, um, you pass by, you know, there's, there's an area taped off there, and unfortunately, uh, sometime last night, someone lost their life, and, and so I just want to take a moment, and I want to pray for the family of that person that's represented. Um, you know, it's just a reminder when we came in this morning that the Lord just reminded me uh, that we live in a sinful world, and that death is real, and, uh, and then just reminded that uh, I don't know when my time is done here, and neither do you. And, and I think it would be, serve us well as a church just to exercise compassion and empathy and thinking for those whom um, that life affects, not knowing the story, not knowing what went on, but at the same time for us not to do that would be pretty... Uh, numb and deaf to our surroundings. So would you just pray with me as I pray out loud? And, uh, and let's go to the Lord. Lord, we're here today. Lord, we're just reminded, uh, Lord, that we live in a world where sin is all around us. Lord, sin hurts people. Uh, Lord, death is the result of sin. And so, Lord, I just pray for that family who um, lost this gentleman. Lord, I, I have no idea what went on, uh, but God, at the same time, we know that a life has been lost, and that affects people. And so, Lord, I just lift up this family to you, um, and Lord, just ask that you would comfort them during this time. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would give uh, the police wisdom as they investigate what went on, and uh, that justice would be served. And uh, Lord, if, if uh, there was foul play, and, and God, we just, Lord, it's just a reminder of why we are here, why you've put this church here, why you have uh, allowed us to be people who have been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and why when that happens, we don't go straight to heaven, but Lord, you have called us to live out our faith on this earth and to make a difference. And so God, I just pray that... Uh, Lord, that we would not allow um, this circumstance, as painful as it is, uh, to cause us to lose sight and be reminded of what is real. Death is real, heaven is real, hell is real, the gospel is real, and the responsibility that you've given us is real. And so God, I pray that as we open up your word, that our ears would be ready to receive what you want us to not only hear, but also to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you are new with us, and some of you may be in this auditorium that are new, those of you watching us online may be new, wherever you are, we've been in this series since the beginning of 2021 entitled Different. We're walking verse by verse through this letter of 1 Peter. Peter wrote this letter to uh, Jewish Christians who were scattered over five provinces in the Roman Empire, uh, who are longing for their home, who are longing to be with family, and unfortunately, because of the persecution of the day, it had caused them to be separated and dispersed from what they knew, who they loved, and Peter is writing this letter to encourage this church, and the way that he encourages them is he reminds them of who they are in Jesus Christ, that because they place their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they are different. And in being different, they are also called to live differently and faithfully in a world that is not their final home. And so as we have been looking at this letter, and as we'll do today, and as we will uh, throughout into uh, the beginning of May, that's what we're going after, reminding ourselves that we are different because of Jesus Christ. Not different in a prideful way, not different in a pretentious way but different in a humble way, understanding, man, I'm different because of what Jesus Christ has done in my life. And so what's my response to that? Well, I'm called to live differently 
and faithfully in a world that's not my final home. And Peter also gives instructions to these Jewish believers, just like we can have instruction today, on how do I live as one who has been made different? Because if I am different in Christ, then what does that also mean? That means I live differently than someone who has yet to place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so we've come to this passage of Scripture, and I shared with this last week, we kind of broke it up into two sections. We dealt last week with verses four through nine. Who are we? What has Christ done for us? And today we're going to look at the ramifications of that, but so that we don't lose sight of what we already covered, I'm going to read through all the way through verse four, all the way through verse 12, and then we'll unpack specifically verses nine through 12 this morning. Peter says this, as you come to him, him being Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but that those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Remember I talked about last week how Peter is quoting two Old Testament passages of Scripture, Isaiah 28, 16, Psalm 118, verse 22, talking about basically Jesus Christ is either your cornerstone or he's a stumbling block. He's one or the other. He can't be both. And it says, they stumble because they disobey the word and they, as they were destined to do. But you, if you haven't done this already, write your name above you in your Bible. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Let I me mean, stop there. The title of the message this morning is this, Foundational Living. Last week, we talked about we have one foundation. This week, how do I live as one who has that foundation? Foundational living. The idea that we looked at last week is the same today. And the idea is this, that you are different and I am different and live differently when Christ is your, my foundation. That if I place my trust in Jesus Christ, he's my foundation. He's the cornerstone. He's made my life different for all of eternity. I was an enemy of God. Now I'm a friend and a part of the family of God. I have been made different and therefore I'm called to live differently when Christ is my foundation. We talked about how we're different. I just read verses four through nine. What did we look at? Number one, we have a solid foundation to build our life upon. Talks in verse four and verses six and seven and eight that Jesus is your cornerstone. That I've been given a sure foundation to build my life upon so that I can be the wise man, remember Matthew seven, not the foolish man, one who builds his house upon the rock. So when the wind and the floods and the, and the rain come, my house stands firm because Jesus is my cornerstone. I mean, I'm a part of one large house with one large family. Remember we looked at that last week? Verse five says, you yourselves like living stone are being built up to a spiritual house. That when I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, man, I'm a part of one large house that Jesus has fashioned me and said, no, 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 this is how I can use Johnny. This is how I can use Susie. They fit right here. I've wired them for a reason. I've gifted them for a reason. I'm using them to build up my house, my spiritual house, which is the church. And we're part of one big family. Our commonality is in Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter what race you are. Doesn't matter what economic situation you are. Doesn't matter what upbringing you have. Doesn't matter what side of the tracks you live on. No, no, no. When I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I have a new house. I have a new family. I am a part of that. Verse five, we just read it in the second part of verse nine. Man, we have unhindered access to the Father. How awesome is that? That you don't need to come to me to intercede for you before a holy God. You don't need to go to a priest. No, no, no. We are the priesthood. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy priesthood. In other words, because of Jesus Christ, the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom as we looked at in Matthew. 
that no longer do we have to have someone else intercede on our behalf. No, no, no. This morning, I can talk to the God of the universe. Why? Because Jesus Christ is my mediator. He's bridged the gap between my sinfulness and God's holiness. And I can go to God with unhindered access. You can do that right now. You can do that in your living room. You can do that in your car. Wherever it is, you'll never have a busy signal. You'll never hear God say, I'm too busy. You'll never hear God say, haven't I already told you that before? No, 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 unhindered access to the Father. We've been we've given a new identity and a new purpose. We looked at that as well, right? I'm a chosen race. God chose me. He loved me. Praise God that I've have that new identity, and I'm part of a holy nation, a set-apart group of people. Remember, not in a pretentious way, not in a prideful way, but in a humble way. No, 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 I've been given a new purpose. It's to live for him. It's to glorify him. And then he says, a people for his own possession. Thank the Lord that I have been given eternal value in Jesus Christ. My past doesn't own me. My pain doesn't own me. My hurts don't own me. What someone says about me doesn't own me. Injustice doesn't own me. No, no, no. I'm a people. I'm a person. And God owns me. Jesus owns me. That's what Peter is highlighting. This is how you're different. If you're here today and you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, this is how you're different. This is what you've been given in Jesus Christ. I am different. You are different. We are one family. And oh Lord, would we remember that? See, the significance of what Peter is doing here, and the reason why we even split up this passage of Scripture, and rather than dealing with it all in one week, but we dealt with the identity piece last week, and now we deal with how we live that out is because we need to be reminded that identity always motivates activity. You'll see that over and over and over again in the New Testament. This is who you are before this is what you do. Because if my activity is not driven by my identity, my activity will always be off. So how do we live differently because of Christ. That's what we're answering this morning, and I'm so glad you asked that question. So verse nine, we're gonna look at the answer. Underline this little word, that. Can I give you some just basic hermeneutics, which is basically how you, how you read and teach the Bible? Whenever you see the word therefore, or so that, or that, that always ought to trigger your attention. Because that means that, there, that, that what is being laid out is a consequence of what has already been stated. So we've dealt with the identity, now we're going to deal with the activity. And Peter says, that you may proclaim the excellencies. That word excellency literally means God's gracious dealings with you. They're gracious, they're glorious, why? Because of everything we just listed. You don't deserve it, you can't earn it, you have been graciously given it. And it's glorious, it's excellent. He says, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. That's one of my favorite phrases of what happens when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the way it's stated in all of the Bible. So, the reason why I live differently. My activity that I should be doing based on my identity is what? Is to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. That is how I live differently. That I am to proclaim it. How do I proclaim it? With what I say? Absolutely. With what I do? Absolutely. So how do we proclaim it? Because I can tell you that that's what we're supposed to do, but we can still walk out of here with our own interpretation of how we do it. So can we allow God's word to inform us how we proclaim the excellencies of Christ? Because that's what Peter is doing. Look at verse 10. He says, once you were not a people, 
but now you are God's people. If you didn't know this or not, and I don't say this to make much of myself, I just say this because it helps me, I write in my Bible. So what I want to encourage you to do is I want you to underline once, and I want you to underline now. Because what Peter is saying, this is who you were. You are not God's people, but this is who you are. Now you are God's people. This is who you were. Once you had not received mercy, but this is who you are, praise God. But now you have received mercy. What is he doing? He's once again going back to identity. Why should I proclaim the excellencies of Christ? Because I once was not a recipient of that mercy, and I once was not a part of God's family. But praise God that now I am. See, I think the first way that we proclaim the excellencies of Christ is we do it humbly. We've lost sight of that today. Unfortunately, there's so many Christians, and before we dismiss and say it's not me, we need to ask ourselves, am I doing this, that, that live, though we would not say it, but we live with this pretentious aura about us. I'm better than him, I'm better than her. I can't believe he did that, I can't believe she did that. I can't believe they did that again. And what we proclaim with our mouth and our life contradicts who we are. See, I can't proclaim the excellencies of Christ if I don't do it humbly. See, I think there's a couple ways our humility is revealed in how we proclaim the excellencies of Christ. First of all, our humility is revealed by our empathy towards others. The church of Jesus Christ needs to have more empathy. Why? Because when you think about it, and this is not a phrase new to me, there is level ground at the cross. You can, be, you can have a millionaire, and you can have someone who has absolutely nothing in a third world country, and they both come to Christ the same way. They realize that they're a sinner. They realize that there's nothing good enough that can warrant God's favor because God is holy and they're sinful. And they believe that Jesus Christ lived and died and rose again for their sins. That's the gospel. I don't come to God any other way. Doesn't matter how much money I have. Doesn't matter how little much money I have. Doesn't matter if I'm black or white or Latino or Asian or whatever other race. No, no, no. It doesn't matter what my family situation is. I can come from the most loving family or come from a home that unfortunately I experienced horrific things. And we all come to to Jesus Christ the same way. Why? Because it's level at the cross. And we lose sight of that as followers of Jesus Christ often. And we don't exercise enough empathy. We focus so much on, well, she, she said something that doesn't jive with me. He said something that doesn't jive with me. He said something that I don't agree with. Wait a minute, I don't think that their pain is warranted. Wait a minute, I don't think that they're coming from the right place. Just stop. And think to ourselves what Peter says. That was me once. Once I was not a people. Once I had not received mercy. And sit with people in their pain. hear where they're coming from. I mean, doesn't Jesus do that with the woman at the well? She's a Samaritan woman. We, most of us who grew up in church know that the Samaritans and Jews, it's not that they just didn't like each other, they hated each other. They viewed the Samaritans as half-breeds. They called them dogs. Injustice, racism, all of that. And what does Jesus do? He asks this woman for a drink. And not only is she a Samaritan, which makes it all the more terrible in the eyes of a Jewish person, but she was committing immorality. What does Jesus do? Give me a drink. He converses with her. 
Does he give her the truth? Absolutely. But what does he do? He shows her empathy. Think about Zacchaeus in Luke 19. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was viewed as a traitor. He was viewed as a backstabber. He was a Jewish person, but he was collecting taxes for the people that were oppressing them, the Romans. And he couldn't have been viewed worse by the Jews. But what does Jesus say? Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house. Starts with empathy. He shows Zacchaeus, no, no, no. I care about you. I care about your soul. Does he give Zacchaeus truth? Oh, absolutely he gives Zacchaeus truth. He shows Zacchaeus the ramifications of what it looks like to believe in him and how he needs to make right who he's wronged and all of those things. But he started with empathy. Now let me say a clarifying statement because oftentimes we can get off on this empathy idea. So let me state the falsehood and let me remind us of the truth. Empathy that is not rooted in gospel truth is manipulation. Do you hear that? Because empathy that's not rooted in gospel truth, here's why it's manipulation. Because I show empathy because in my heart I'm at the center. So therefore, I'm showing you empathy so that you will see things the way that I do and so that you will agree with my agenda. It's narcissistic at its root. And we have to understand the difference. But when I am showing empathy and it's motivated by my identity, by gospel truth, then all of a sudden what happens is, is I'm able to show humility and compassion. Why? Because after all, I'm nobody without Jesus Christ. How could I refuse to listen, to care, to love, to minister to someone when I know without Jesus Christ, I am just like they are. I'm without God's mercy. I haven't accepted it. And that's so important to remind ourselves of. Romans 3.10 says what? There is no one righteous, not one. Our humility is revealed through our empathy towards others. It's rooted in gospel truth. Our humility is also revealed by our love to one another. That means we're loving someone enough to listen. I had a youth pastor uh, when I was in ninth grade, and I can't go, I'm not that quick in math to be able to calculate how many years that was ago. But I remember he said this, and it's always stuck with me, that the words listen and silent have the same letters. Now, I don't know if that's on purpose but that stuck with me. I can't listen without my mouth being closed. I'm gonna listen. I'm gonna listen. Well, if I listen, what if they think I agree? Listen. It means we're loving someone when we listen. It means we're loving someone enough to forgive. Some of you right now are holding on to something and you won't let it go because you're being deceived into thinking that if you forgive that person that somehow they've won Somehow you're excusing what they did. But no, no, no. When I am understanding, Lord, it's level at the cross. I had to come to Christ just like someone else has to come to Christ. And my humility is going to drive my empathy, but it's also going to drive my love. And that means I'm willing to forgive. It means that we are loving someone enough to care for their well-being. What motivates me? to care for the poor? What motivates me to minister to a brother or sister who is less fortunate than me? What motivates me to do that? Is it motivated out of self? Is it motivated out of what people think of me? If it is, it's short-lived. No, 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 no. It's motivated because I've received Christ's love and he's made me different. It means loving someone enough to share the gospel with them. Listen to me, if we do all of those things and fail to share the good news with them, we are just doing humanitarian aid. And we're not caring for their deepest need. But so often, we shortchange ourselves from the opportunities to even share the gospel because we're not proclaiming the excellencies of Christ. How? Humbly. 
And Peter emphasizes the importance of that. Let me read Colossians 3, 12 through 15. Written by Paul, not Peter, but Paul saying the same thing. He says, put on then the idea of keep doing this. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility. Can I just tell you this? Can I, maybe this is obvious to me. Maybe it's not obvious to you. Humility is not a gift. What I mean by that? Have you ever run into someone and you're like, hey, what are you, what, what's your... What's your Enneagram? What's your Myers-Briggs? What's your spiritual gifts? And they're like, I don't know what the number is, but I can tell you it's humility. Ever hear that? Hopefully not. It's not a gift. It's a choice. Meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and it has And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were one, you were called into one body, and be thankful. Thankful of what? Who you are what you've been given, and allow your identity to motivate your activity. How? Humbly. Here's the second thing. Look at verse 11. It says, beloved, I urge you. That word urge means plead, beg. It's like literally I'm screaming out for you to do this. I'm passionately asking you to do this. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, as people who are different, to abstain. That word abstain literally means to hold yourself back constantly. That you keep saying no. No to what? No to the passions of the flesh. That literally means strong, sinful desires. Now, we always want to equate it, passions of the flesh, to sexual things. Sexual temptation. And, while I, and so if you ask me that, I would say, yes, but that's not all. It's any sinful desire. It's even taking good things and putting them in the place of where God is. Anything that is sinful desires that are born out of our sinful nature, that's passions of the flesh. And what does he say about these passions of the flesh? They wage war against your soul. Here's a second way you proclaim the excellencies of Christ, not just humbly, but passionately. I think the passions of the flesh could be broken down into three categories. Three categories. And I'm going to give you these three categories, and they're not new with me, but they really come out of um, the ministry that, that Aaron Lundquist, he's our executive pastor, but he also oversees our gospel care and how we shepherd the church and care for the church. And, and right now he's training a group of leaders through uh, what's called Restore, which is, which is just how to answer the question with someone who's hurt, who's struggling with whatever it is. How does Jesus make a difference in what you are experiencing? And so in this material, here's the three categories There's faith struggles. Faith struggles can be passions of the flesh. What do I mean by that? Unbelief, resentment, bitterness towards God, lack of trust. Have you been there? Because I have. Be transparent with you, I have. Times in my life where where I'm just like, man, I know what God's word says, but I don't see the circumstances playing out and, 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 and I'm being really tempted to give in to unbelief here, to give in to lack of trust here, to be resentment because God didn't answer my request the way that I wanted to and I'm really struggling here and that faith struggle is real. Peter says, abstain from those passions. Why? Because you're sojourners and exiles. Your identity shapes your activity. But faith struggles are real. They're passions of the flesh. How about common struggles? Here was what we mean by that. Fear, shame, guilt, fantasy. In other words, always looking to escape. Anger, sorrow, anxiety, distrust, self-protection, defensiveness. All of, those, all of those emotions that we feel that can be common struggles, that my fear of this situation can override who I believe God to be in the midst of that fear. We could go through all of those, but those are common struggles. And we can easily give in to those struggles 
and not be abstaining from the passion of the flesh. How about relational struggles? Relational struggles in my family. Relational struggles with my spouse in my marriage. Relational struggles and, and even manifesting self in racism and, and how I've used someone of a different race and injustice and in how I treat those or how I'm dismissive of other people and what they've experienced or what they may be experiencing. All of those things could be summed up in relational struggles and are rooted in, if I give in to them, my sinful nature that can drive those things and dictate me giving into those things in my life. Let me give you a chart that those leaders that are being trained in this and restore, this chart is not familiar to you. But what this chart is getting at is really getting at what I just said, that at the root of my heart struggles, it, my, my actions, my motivations, my solutions are being driven at the heart through self-love and self-glory. I determine what's right and wrong. Lord, you didn't do this my way? How could you? My faith struggle is being driven because I believe that I'm king. I believe that I should call the shots. I believe in what's best for me. I know how to love myself better than God loves me. Think about Common struggles, fear, and, and this has been taken away from you. And you're like, all of a sudden, these things that I've accumulated and my reputation and my accolades and all of those things, they're being threatened. I feel like they may be taken away from me. And what am I doing? I'm giving into those common struggles. Why? Because after all, I get glory out of those things. What's driving me giving into those heart struggles instead of abstaining from them? Well, it's because... At the end of the day, my motivations, my solutions are being motivated by self-love, by self-glory. Makes me think of Judges 21. Remember our series in Judges? We're at the end of the book. What does it say? In those days, there was no king in Israel. This is how the book closes out. And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. I wonder how many of us today were struggling deeply, whether it's faith struggles, relational struggles, common struggles, and what we've forgotten is, is the reason why we feel like we're drowning is because our motivations and our solutions are really rooted in a self-love and a self-glory. And my prayer is that when we read Judges 20, 25, and we were to, instead of making it about somebody else, that we would never be able to say, in those days there was no king in Salem Chapel. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That no one would be able to say of the Pereira family, in those days there was no king in the Pereira family, and they all did what was right in their own eyes. Put your name there. Put your family there. Put your church there. And some of us, even in this 2020, where so much has been barking at us and so much voices have been coming at us, whether it's social media, whether it's YouTube, whether it's the vortex that you slowly go down in because the video that you watch, now you got five more in your feed, so you go further and further and further in. And all of a sudden you find yourself all in this angst and then this ball of strife in your soul. And I wonder if it's because you're listening to a world that's telling you that self-love and self-glory is the solution, but it's not. Peter says, no, 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 you're different. And because you're different, abstain from those passions of the flesh, which do what? Which wage war against your soul. And some of us need to wake up to the reality that your heart and my heart is in a war. And I've been given victory in Jesus Christ, and I fight from a place of victory, but I still have to fight. Let me give you an example of how this plays out. After all, social justice is a big thing that's being talked about, and rightly so, and it always should be. How do we respond as Christ followers to make sure that we're taking the lead? 
to solve injustice, to strive to see equality, dignity, and value in our fellow man and woman. I'm reading this book. I haven't recommended it yet because I'm not done with it. Let me say that as a precursor. So if you go out and buy it and you're like, oh, I don't agree with that. I said this. You can play the tape back. It's documented. But here's the title of the book that I'm reading right now. Confronting Injustice Without Compromising the Truth. Here's what the author says. Our culture desires to solve the problem of inequality outside of acknowledging that we are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. There is a desire to solve the problem of inequality while removing the foundation that equality of man and woman rests. So the answer according to our secular worldview to equality, dignity, or value rests solely in us as highly evolved beings with human bodies. So the secular world is saying, God doesn't need to be part of the picture. Wait a minute. The reason why the Bible says we need to strive for equality, dignity, and value in every human being is because we're all fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. So if I take that out, then here's where it breaks down. So you've heard of Usain Bolt. Can run a 40-yard dash in about four seconds or less. I ain't ever gonna be Usain Bolt. And neither are you, unless I got some world-class sprinter in the audience who I don't know about, and maybe I do watching online. But you are never going to be able to be Usain Bolt. So if I'm never going to be able to achieve or do what Usain, Usain Bolt does, other than his little, you know, sign there, then how are we equal? Because remember, we've taken God out of the picture. Being made in the image of God doesn't play. Let me give you another sense. If I look at Brad Pitt, and you look at Brad Pitt, and you're like, man, he, I will never look as good as he does in skinny jeans. So you're like, I would never wear skinny jeans. Or if I look at Brad Pitt, and I was like, I'm never gonna have a head of hair like Brad Pitt. Now, I'm being facetious in some ways, but you see where I'm coming from. If I take God out of the picture, then can, how can I have true motivation for equality? That's what he's saying. Now, he says this. Only if there is someone good, someone whose image all of us bear, regardless of our physical, economic, sexual, or political status, that things like equality, dignity, and value become more than bumper sticker slogans. When I believe, no, 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 the reason why we strive for those things is because we're made in the image of God. It's more than something you slap on your bumper, more than something you post on your Facebook page, more than a flag you post in your lawn. Limiting ourselves to ourselves as the standard is hardly a recipe for long-term justice or progress. He says, that's why about 99.9% of Martin Luther King's letter from a Birmingham jail appeals to equality, dignity, and value beyond ourselves, and God is the standard. Why do I give that as an illustration? Because many in the church are asking the right questions. The problem is, is they're looking to the wrong solution. They're looking to a world culture that says, no, 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 God's not the standard. Self-love, self-glory is the standard. And the danger of that is, is whenever man has been placed at the center, you look throughout history, and that has always deviated, not to justice, but to injustice. Augustine of Hippo, some of you may know Augustine. He's a church father. He served as a bishop in northern Africa, lived from November of 384 and died in August of 430. He's one of the most influential church fathers that we have. He's most known for writing on human sin and God's grace. In a sermon on love, he attempted to sum up the entire Christian ethic with this famous line. And when I first read this line, I was like, oof. But then I was like, ah, I see what you did there. You got my attention, and then you lowered the gospel. Bang. Here's the phrase, love God and do whatever you want. Now you can see why I would have been like, I don't know. But listen to what he says. He says, if I treasure God as God, the, that first affection, remember the two greatest commandments, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. 
If I treasure God as God, the first affection should recalibrate all my other affections, my other wants. I won't lie to you since you bear the noble image of the God I love most. I won't steal your stuff or your spouse because you carry the unique image of the God I love most. I won't won't want to exploit you as a means to my own selfish ends since you are made in the image, in the irreducible, valuable image of the God I love most. Love God, the ultimate other, and you will give those who bear your beloved image the respect they are due. Idolatry then is the first injustice and the carcinogenic source of every other injustice. And we need to wake up to the reality as people that have been made different in Jesus Christ that we can never agree with a world system that wants to go after these noble things, the things that are actually stated in God's word, the things that, frankly, the church should always have been the ones championing. But we can never go about those things with a world system that separates God out of the motivation and the gospel out of the motivation and a love for him out of the motivation and replace it with my self-love and my self-glory and expect to reach the destination that the Lord calls us to in his word. Can't do it. Facebook isn't gonna help me. YouTube's not gonna help me. God's word is gonna help me. My identity is going to help me because identity, when I'm living in that, motivates my activity. And we have to first remind ourselves of the gospel before we can focus on the fruit of the gospel. So what's the solution? What's the heart remedy to the heart struggle? Once again, I'm glad you asked. You're asking such great questions this morning. Let me put this chart up for you. Here's the heart remedy. Instead of self-love and self-glory being at my heart motivations, it's the love of Christ and the glory of Christ at the center. See, when I'm passionately loving Christ and seeking his glory, I live differently and faithfully in these ways. This is on the screen. Number one, I praise the Lord for his love in the midst of my faith struggles. It doesn't mean that faith struggles are gonna go away. Why? Because I'm always gonna battle against those passions of the flesh. I need to keep abstaining from them. But when those faith struggles are pressing down on me, what do I preach to those faith struggles of unbelief, of distrust, of resentment, of bitterness towards God? I say, wait a minute, in the midst of those emotions that are pressing upon me, I'm going to make the choice to praise. I'm going to make the choice to remind myself of Christ's love for me that never changes. Some of us are experiencing some of those faith struggles in our life. And why many of those are the result of sin, either that we've committed or had committed against us. But some of them are not. They're just the result of us living in a sinful world. And in the midst of those faith struggles, here's what God does. He moves us from the kiddie pool into the deep end of the pool to where I have to all of a sudden drop my anchor into a reality that never changes. He's working on my motivations on my heart so that the love of Christ replaces the love of self and the glory of Christ replaces the glory of me. And so when I am allowing those things to be my motivations, man, I praise God in the midst of the faith struggles. I remind myself of Hebrews 13, 5. God, you'll never leave me or forsake me. The reason why that's true is because Jesus loved me. He died for me. He rose again for me. Here's another ramification. Man, when I'm passionately loving Christ and seeking his glory, I love others and relationships in my life the way that Christ loved me. People who are different ought to live differently. They ought to be on the front line striving for equality. Why? Because every man and woman is made in the image of God. They ought to be striving for injustice when it's seen. They ought to be doing every opportunity that when someone walks in these doors that looks different than you or is wearing something different than you or you see that they have something on their face that says that they are struggling, that we are mindful enough to say, wait a minute, there's an opportunity for me me to love you just like Christ loves me when I feel uh, marginalized, when I feel that I have been hurt, when I feel out of place. See, when the love of Christ and and Christ's glory is at the center, man, I love others in relationships in the way that Christ loves me. That's John 13, 34, and 35. When you walk out of these doors, you probably haven't noticed it. It's right there on the back wall. It's one of our core values, loving one another in all we do. 
Because Jesus says, if you love me the way that I love you, you show that you are my disciples. How? By my knowledge of God's word, by my theology and how deep I can go and explain all the different things and explain the Trinity and all of those different things. Not that any of those things are bad. No, no, no. By my love. That's how they know that I'm different. Here's what else happens. I bring my Christ Those common struggles, my fear, my shame, my guilt, my fantasy, my anger, my sorrow, my anxiety, my distrust, my self-protection, my defensiveness. I bring them to him in prayer. We're teaching our life group leaders right now a prayer tool that we've developed as a discipleship tool, and you'll be introduced to that in the fall. Your kids are already ahead of you. They've already been introduced to it in Salem Kids. But in that moment, man, I take to the Lord those common struggles that are weighing down upon me, and what do I pray in light of those things? Lord, I know that you love me. Lord, I know that this is an opportunity to glorify you, but Philippians 4, 6, Lord, I'm gonna choose to not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, I'm gonna let my requests be made known to you, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Here's what else happens when loving Christ and seeking his glory is at the center. Man, I view everything that I've been given as something to steward, not for my glory, but for his glory. God, you want to take this away from me? It's painful. It hurts. I'm struggling, but it's yours. You got a reason. Romans 12.1, Paul says, I beseech you by the mercies of God. You see that? Identity before activity. By the mercies of God that you do what? That you present your bodies a living sacrifice to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Let me be done with this. Here's the last way that we proclaim the excellencies of Christ. We do it honorably. After all, look at verse 12. It says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles. And Gentiles isn't speaking of race or non-Jews, he's speaking of, he's using that as an analogy of people that have yet to believe in Jesus Christ as their savior. Like keep your conduct, the way that you live, like be mindful of it against people who have yet to believe in Jesus. It needs to be honorable. That word means desirable. The way that you act matches the way that you believe. So that when they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The day of visitation speaking to when they believe in Jesus as their Savior. Can I remind you of what many of you already know? That we as Christians are billboards for the gospel. Like just think of your life when you walk around, you're a billboard. Many of you, even people at work, know you go to Salem Chapel. And I don't say that to make, that you need to make much of Salem Chapel, but they know that you're different. They know that you say you're different. And they are watching. We're billboards for the gospel. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5 says it this way. God makes his appeal through you and through me. That ought to make you shiver. That's why we are called to live honorably. But can I stress this? We need to understand this. You need to hear me on this. That the world system will always be opposed to God, the gospel, and his word. Can I say why I say that? Look at what it says there in the second part of verse 12. It says, when, not if, when they speak against you as evildoers... I am going to face people that are going to say, because you say that Jesus Christ is the only way, the truth, and the life, they're going to look at me as small-minded, as bigoted in what I believe, that anybody can believe anything. Christ is a stumbling block. When I say, no, 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 no. The way to go after equality and the way to go after injustice is to understand that we're all made in the image of God, to understand that what right do I have to treat someone different when Jesus Christ loved me with an unconditional love. They'll look at that and they'll make assumptions and they won't agree with me. When I say that marriage is between a man or a woman and I strive after that, they're gonna call me homophobic. 
They're going to call me bigoted. They're going to call me that I don't love someone who happens to be living as a lesbian or, or whatever, or whatever gender they want to call themselves. We need to understand that we are going to be faced with opposition. And in the face of that opposition, we show love. We show care. We demonstrate that. Why? So that they, even when they want to condemn us, they can't argue with the way that we are living. And the reason why I emphasize that is some of us are wanting to compromise what God's word says, believing that in compromising, we can achieve the same things that God says we need to achieve. And the one who will lose out on that is you. Because Christ loves at the center and Christ's glory is at the center. I wrote this phrase down. This isn't new to me, but I came up with this phrase because frankly, I just liked it better. It's this, I encourage you to write it down. I am a nobody who by God's grace has been made into a somebody with a mission to impact anybody with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how we live differently. Humbly, passionately, honorably. Because we're different. We're gonna take part in communion this morning. When you came in the doors, you should have received one of these cups. If you're new, let me just explain. There's a place where you can tear off the top to get to the wafer there, and there's another place that you can peel off to get to the juice. Just want to ask you not to do that yet. If you're watching us online, maybe you have some juice or wine available and some type of bread, I encourage you to participate with us in that. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that's this is for people who believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior. Let me say, if you're here today and you haven't placed your faith and trust in Christ, here's your response. Here's what God desires for you. Here's what I desire for you. That in this moment that you would call out to God and say, Lord, I wanna be different. I've tried it on my own. I see where it ends up. Lord, I believe that I'm a sinner that there's nothing that I can do to have a relationship with you. I put my full trust in Jesus Christ. The Bible says you will be saved, Romans 10, 9, and 10. That's what you can do right now and walk out of here different. And if that's you today, I would love nothing more than to talk with you in the lobby after the service if you're in this room. If you're watching online, I would love nothing more than for you to shoot me an email, Pereira at salemchapel.org, P-E-R-E-I-R-A. But we need to, this morning to remind ourselves of the what so we can walk out of here equipped and ready to do the activity of the why and the how. So the band's gonna sing this song. I encourage you while they're singing it, just to examine your heart. God, where's their sin? Where have I been giving into the passions of the flesh? Where have I been at the center, my glory at the center? God, once again, I surrender fully to you. Let's do business with God this morning and relish who we are in Jesus Christ.